Well, good morning. My name's Kevin. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Grace Point Church. And we're so glad that you're able to join us this morning and make us a part of your Sunday routine. It's virtual. It's not what we would ideally have hoped for, but uh, it is something. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you this morning walking through the word and hopefully finding some mutual encouragement together. Well, my lovely wife, Catherine, and I recently had a dream to paint our house. So I went to Home Depot, got the cleaning solution that we needed for the siding of our house and got the brushes, the rollers, the paint, um, anything I could think of. And then obviously I got some other stuff that we didn't need because I just can't help myself. That's another message though. Well, we were blazing through this project. We got three quarters of this thing done, first coat, and we're feeling pretty confident. Like, this is pretty good for amateur painters who don't do this for a living. And then we got to the last side of our house. And as we're standing in the driveway, looking up at this very, very high peak, the highest gable of this side of our house, and I started to feel the dream slipping away a little bit. I started to feel the discouragement setting in, the disappointment a little bit at, wow, I thought we were gonna be able to do this really easily, but now we've kind of hit a snag. We have a pretty big obstacle in our way. And confidence and hope started to fade. But see, we all have dreams. We all have been disappointed and are currently disappointed for some of us. See, we might be seeing a massive gap between our dream and what we're really experiencing right now. Um, I mean, let me just put it this way. I was okay with um, some of the winter plans getting postponed or canceled, but the summer plans, nah, that's not okay. Don't take away my summer plans. Don't take away my kids' summer camp. Don't take away my family's beach vacation. That starts to sting a little bit more. I start feeling that disappointment and that discouragement, realizing the loss, realizing that potential for some of those things to be taken away. But what about the stuff that we have control over? What about the stuff that we can influence? Like, I can't control if somebody else cancels something, but what about my relationships? What about the, the, the dreams that are connected so deeply and so firmly to relationships with other people? What about my dream marriage? What about my dream friendship? Maybe it's my dream career. Whatever it is, my dream future. All of those dreams if they're big enough, lend themselves to disappointment and discouragement. In fact, I'd be willing to go so far as to say, if your dream isn't big enough to leave some room for disappointment and discouragement, then I don't think your dream is big enough. If we're realistic with ourselves, if we're true to ourselves, we'll, we will uh, see that our big dreams Open us up to some big disappointment. So what do we do when our reality is not the reality of our dreams? 
A dream is defined as a cherished aspiration or ambition, an ideal, something greatly desired because we deeply value it and because we believe that it's going to ultimately fulfill us. Now, sometimes stuff is out of our control, but many times the biggest obstacle that's keeping you from your dreams is, well, it's you or you with the wrong tools. When stuff gets hard, the coping mechanisms can be good. You know, rigging something up temporarily to get through an initial wave of a crisis, that's good, but it's probably not long-term. The problem comes in when we use the temporary or the inadequate tools or just plain the wrong tools as long-term solutions. When it comes to our dreams, we have options though. See, we can diminish the dream when we run into that hard spot. We can just diminish the dream. We can settle. We can use the default coping mechanisms that we've used in the past and we can seek our personal comfort and hope that we can just salvage something for ourselves and we could just hope that maybe the lower expectations will be enough to kind of get us through. Or we can dismiss and totally dissolve the dream. Just leave it behind us. Just say, like, kick that to the side. Forget it. I'm done with this. It's not worth it. And just walk away from the dream. We can resign the hope that it could be worth fighting for. But there's another option. We can retool and resolve for the dream. We can get into the grace cycle, which I'm gonna talk about later, and realize that we need help, that we need different tools, that you need to be changed. As my father-in-law typically says when we're doing a project around his house, this is great. He usually kind of puffs up his chest a little bit, um, puts on that kind of rugged, uh, outdoorsy, manly voice, maybe like that, uh, Home Depot um, uh, voiceover voice and says, you got to have the right tools for the job. And every time it gets me amped because usually he's holding on to a massive chainsaw or something like that. If he times it just right, he finishes that phrase and then cranks the chainsaw and it fires up. It's the best. But see, the problem is... <laughs> We often rely on the wrong tools. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And this eventually will lead to us diminishing or dismissing our dreams. Do you ever wonder why we have the dreams that we do in the first place? Well, I, I wanna go back to the beginning. I wanna go back to our origin story. I wanna go back to Genesis 2. You got to get in there and read this, but just briefly, what's described in Genesis 2 as God is creating is a people that are made for harmonious relationship, for unified relationship. There is no strife. There is no arguing. There is no tension. They are unashamed with each other. They're unashamed with God. But then Genesis 3 happens, and the first human beings, Adam and Eve, decide, you know what, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. 
I'm going to use the resources that are available to me, and I think I'm going to leave God out of it. And right there in that moment enters sin. Sin gets in the way of our most significant goals because it messes with our relationships. It puts us at the center and makes selfishness the default approach. See, sin's DNA is selfishness. And Paul in Galatians 5, 16, and 17 points out the conflict between what comes most naturally to us and what we need to receive as a tool that we need to receive in order to walk by the Spirit. Look what he says in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, we're our biggest obstacle. We're the issue. We're the high gable that's getting in the way of us finishing the job. We are kind of like a stepladder when we need an extension ladder, or even more, when we need scaffolding set up to get this job done. And standing in my driveway, scratching my head, I could feel that hope slipping away. And friends were even coming over and saying, wow, that's a high gable. How are you going to do that? Honestly, didn't know. See, sometimes we try and rig something up on our own. We try and use a tool that was never intended to, to be used in the way that we've, we're using it and hope that it works out. See, sometimes we try to make the law do something that it was never intended to do. The, the law can only point out our issue. It can only reveal that we have a high gable and that we cannot figure out how to get up there and paint that thing on our own. But it can't help us get the job done. It can't help us take steps towards actually getting that thing painted, toward doing the job. See, and it's the difference for many of us between living out and living under judgment or grace. It's hugely important. Using the tools of law-based or grace-based living are worlds apart. So what are your dreams? Dream job, dream marriage, dream uh, philanthropic endeavor, a family that's a little less dysfunctional maybe? What tools are you using to get there? What's your authority and your power? Is it robust enough to support the weightiest of your deepest dreams and your biggest desires? My concern is that we're content either to not dream, to set that aside, or to put limitations on what we think is possible. And maybe experience has taught us to diminish our dreams. And maybe insecurities have squashed our hopes that we could ever succeed. Or maybe selfishness has been the bullet that we've shot into our own foot and prevented us getting to where we want to go. My concern is that we think we can achieve our goals with the limited tools that we have. 
and we try to do the job without the right tools and we end up discouraged and disappointed. We're using a stepladder when we should, should be using an extension ladder or scaffolding or maybe even a bucket truck. Our dream was to paint the siding, but what if we were using the wrong tools for the job? Don't ask a folding ladder to do what only a bucket truck can do. Or scaffolding. Don't ask the law to do what only grace can do. Listen to this, a beautifully engineered car down to all of its precision details is a wonderful piece of art and a wonderful machine to observe and to experience. But don't expect that wonderful piece of uh, engineering to operate like a ski boat. Don't ask that car to drive across a lake because you know what's gonna happen. Regardless of those details, regardless of how intricate and beautiful that vehicle is, it's gonna sink to the bottom right along with your dreams. That is not the way to our dreams. But that's not to say that the law isn't beautiful. That's not to say that that engineering isn't incredible. That's just to say we gotta understand what the law is, is for. That it is for the revealing of, of the issue that we have. That it is so that we can see that we have a problem but it's not there to resolve the problem for us. It's not the tool to redeem. It's not the tool to restore. And when we operate from the tools that come most naturally or try to force tools to do what they were never intended to do, we create spaces where people feel used, unsafe, unloved, and we undermine our own dreams and potentially somebody else's. See, I was faced with a choice as I looked up at my house, and we have a choice, to proceed with the limited tools that we have, or modify our dream, or give up on it altogether and walk away. But there's another option. We can get the right tools for the job. As some of you know, Catherine, my lovely wife, homeschools our children. And so she has taught each one of our children, um, who is of age, how to read. That has been a huge goal for us. We still have some kids that are going to be coming up through that program. But it makes sense. That's a good goal. That's a good aspiration to have, to have your kids learn how to read. And Catherine's been intimately involved with that process. And sometimes to the point of wanting to pull her own hair out, I'm sure. Well, she described the other day a moment where she was sitting with one of our kids trying to help them understand how to read a simple sentence. And it struck her. Just as she was about to lose her mind, she paused, took a breath, composed herself, and said, hey, look, Listen, I want you to think about it this way. I have given you all the tools in your tool belt. Here, here. All the tools that you need to be able to read 
these words and to be able to put together these sentences. All you have to do is realize you've got that tool belt on, realize you've got those tools and pull out the tool that you need for the job that's in front of you. And then I think you're going to be able to read. Light bulb. Oh, so when I get stuck on a word, I just take out my tool and I use it and apply it to that word and I can figure it out. Wow. Now, our little Nino was doing something that she actually could have been doing the whole time. She had the tools the whole time. And she just needed someone to say, look, you've had these tools. Pull them out and start using them. Sometimes we need to pick up new tools. Sometimes we have the tools, we just forget to use them or we need someone to help remind us that they're there or teach us how to use them. And I think Paul helps us in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 to 23, really familiar verses. Listen to what he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, the fruits of the spirit are others focused. See, sometimes I think we get so caught up in our own dreams that it, oh, it kind of becomes about ourselves. It becomes about what we can get for ourselves, what we can keep, what we can maintain, what we can hold on to, what we can, what we can grasp and kind of get for ourselves. Maybe it's comfort. Um, maybe, it's, um, uh, maybe it's something else, but it, ultimately it comes back to us. But Paul is saying, look, the fruits of the Spirit are others focused. And you've got to hear this. Please, please don't blaze by this passage without hearing this. These are grace gifts from God. This is not a morals list to aspire to. This isn't something that we are capable of doing in our own strength. That would be using the right tools in the wrong way or in a way that they were never intended to be used. That's like mistaking law for grace. These are grace gifts of God that require out of this world transformation and influence by the Holy Spirit. This is actually what the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. This is a list of the things that that God is doing through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can, uh, we can aspire to even getting close to achieving. These are Holy Spirit activated. And now for the first century church, listen to this. Um, I've been going through the book of Acts with the, um, with a small group of guys um, in the student group and been checking in on that conversation every once in a while. And uh, so we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, as you can imagine. And for the first century church, these gifts, their lifestyle, um, were all centered around the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's activating power. For the first century church, it was described as um, their first encounter with the Holy Spirit was described as a rushing wind, a sound so loud that 
crowds gathered to see what had happened. Another way, to, another way that the Holy Spirit is described is breath. Like the breath of life that animates and gives power and life. Now these fruits grow out of a soil of grace. It's a grace cycle, not a law cycle. And I want you to see how this works. This is how the grace cycle works. We have to see. We have to see the obstacle to my dreams. And then we have to grieve. We have to acknowledge that we're not there yet and we're potentially adding to the problem. And we have to grieve our part. Grieve the part that we played in kind of getting in the way of our own dreams. And we have to own it. We have to confess. We have to own our part. We have to say, yeah, we were were responsible for that. We have to verbalize the problem, which is, uh, you know, oftentimes the problem is me. I got to own that. I got to own that I don't have the right tools in and of myself. And then I've got to repent. I have to resist the inadequate tools. I've got to resist picking those up. Even if they're more convenient. Even if they seem like the easiest, quickest route to solving a problem. And I've got to turn towards the right ones. The right tools for the job. And then finally, I've got to repeat. So what's the cycle? We've got to see grieve, confess, repent, repeat. And we do that all with the help of the Holy Spirit and his power and presence. But all of this, we got to take a pause. All of this means nothing if it's not built on a foundation of love. If it doesn't have the heart of love behind it. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3 say, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain Nothing. See, sometimes I think we think of literal mountains being moved, but what if it's a figurative mountain? What if it's the mountain of our sin? What if it's us? That's so resistant to be moved, that's so resistant to change, that's so resistant to the transformation that we so desperately need. See, if we have a faith and a hope that isn't anchored in love, we have issues. A pious faith by itself, in the law, blinded the religious leaders. A pious faith alone, that blinded the religious leaders. They could not see. They couldn't even see that it was undermining their dreams to just have faith. A hope, a hope alone, a hope of a violent revolution, uh, of an oppressive empire, blinded the religious leaders from seeing a sacrificed, crucified Jesus as their savior and the way to their deepest dreams. They missed it. Why? Because their faith and hope wasn't anchored in love. 
You can go through all the mechanics and try and get better at peace, patience, kindness, etc., but it doesn't work. It means nothing without love. It means nothing without the presence of God, who is love through the Holy Spirit, to activate those grace gifts in your heart so that they can be worked out in your life. So do you care about the people around you or are you trying to use them for the sake of reaching your dream? Or are you retooling for the sake of being a tool for someone else's transformation? Are you fighting against that selfishness DNA? That judgmental default approach? Are you fighting against that? trying to jump out of that cycle of the law and into the cycle of grace. Now the church in Acts got this right, I think. First century. The first churches to gather before they were even called churches, before they even had coined that name. They were living out the grace cycle in a million little moments that they had together. They weren't so concerned about the big moments. They were, not, they were sharing the gospel in word and deed with the resources provided by God toward, get this, a common dream. God shows up with his grace for the little moments that make the biggest difference. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That is an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. But look at when we jump to the end of this chapter, look at what's described. Not anything crazy, not any um, violent winds or uh, flaming tongues of fire. No, what's described at the end is this. Listen, we go all the way to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and, with, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to one, anyone as they had need. Every day they, com they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <laughs> God shows up in their midst through regular, everyday activities. And he works. He works through his spirit. God knew that we would need help. God knew that the church would need help. 
but he plays out his spirit. He works out his spirit in the everyday moments of real life. Uh, everyday moments of real life, kind of like, um, maybe you've had this experience, but like when a couple of your kids are fighting and then uh, your spouse might be elevating as well, and then you, you start to look around and think, okay, what tools do I have at my disposal right now? And you're thinking, well, everybody's yelling, so maybe I should start yelling too. And then, bam, in that moment, grace. God's grace shows up. And you see God in the face of one of your kids that's about to lose their mind and about to be incredibly discouraged. And something out of this world happens. God shows up in that space, allows you to catch your breath, allows you to throw a little prayer up to him and allows words that you would have never been able to come up with on your own to come gently and lovingly out of your mouth. That's incredible. That's miraculous that God shows up in my home, on my street, in my neighborhood, in my country, in this world, in this universe, out of everywhere that God could be, God shows up in these little moments with his grace. And I have a choice. What am I going to do? Now look, the first church, they gather for prayer. They realize they didn't have the tools and they lean into one another and God for help. They allowed the spirit of God to work. Now, we might not have the rushing wind. We might not have the uh, multilingual kind of uh, fire, um, you know, flames, uh, you know, tongues and, to speak other languages. But sometimes we need the super, supernatural influence to keep us from exploding. We can expect the Holy Spirit. We can expect the Holy Spirit to move us forward beyond what the law could ever accomplish. Imagine this. God comes to meet us to do the transformative work in us that allows us to take steps within the grace cycle toward the future of our dreams. God knew we would need help, so he gives us grace to do better. He gives us his spirit to be the church, not just uh, people that show up at church on Sunday and meet in church, but as the church, people that are acting as the church. He doesn't deny or accept sin, but he courageously steps in to that mess, into that space with self-sacrificing grace to help move us in the right direction, to do the next right thing. Jesus went to the complete and utter darkness of the cross to bear the full burden of our sin so that we could be forgiven into the freedom of his grace. So that we could jump right into that grace cycle and choose the right tools for the job. But in order to move toward the dream, God knew we, that he would have to do more. He would have to give us his Holy Spirit. He would have to give us those right tools. It isn't enough to be forgiven. We had to be retooled in order to be the tools of his grace and love. 
Well, Catherine and I did end up getting the house painted because we realized we had a problem. We grieved the problem. It gave us some headaches. Then we owned it and we asked for help. And guess what? There were people there to help us. There were people there to bring us the tools that we needed. A really long extension ladder, OSHA approved. A really big scaffolding setup. But we couldn't do it in our own strength. We couldn't do it with the tools that we just had around us. We had to ask for help. And we had to turn towards those right tools for the job. This is the grace cycle God has gifted us with. He gives us hope that we are forgiven and we can do better. We have a choice. We can keep using the tools we've always depended on and watch our dreams dissolve. Or we can step into the grace cycle each day, see the issue, grieve our part in it, confess it and own it, repent, put down the tools of judgment, Put down the tools of the law, put down the tools of selfishness, and receive his grace, his presence, and his power to do better and to move towards our dream. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this time to spend thinking about these critical critical things, these critical um, grace gifts that you've given us that are, that are in our tool belt already for most of us, for some of us, and we just simply need to be reminded that they're there. We, we simply need to pick them up, receive them, and let you go to work in our hearts. Let you go to work in the core of who we are so that what overflows is peace, patience, kindness, and most importantly, love. God, I pray that this week we could recognize when we're starting to lean into the tools that just kind of are there by default. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's just a concern for our own comfort. Lord, I pray that when we start to do that, we would catch ourselves this week and by your grace, you would step in and remind us of the tools that we have. Remind us of your presence and your power given to us so that we can live this stuff out in freedom, not in guilt and shame, but in freedom. That we can live out love towards the best dream we could ever have. Lord, thank you for your hope. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Pray that those would be worked into our hearts this week and worked out in our lives. In all the relationships that are so essential to us reaching our dreams. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.